as we meet here tonight, the, the platform looks a bit different from how it has been in the past few weeks. I'm sure you'll agree. You know, we've no longer got our advent calendar. We don't have the candles. The tree is gone from here. My suggestion of keeping it till Candlemas fell on deaf ears. No, no, get that out. We're not having that for the whole of January. The manger, the straw, the very patient cows that somehow our cows never go lowing and disturbing any baby that might need to awake. You know, that doesn't happen. They're very peaceable. So all that has been packed away. And that is right for this passage. You know, some time has passed. And so we come to a new season. Not the Christmas season, but the Epiphany exploration. We have a habit of jumping in carol services or nativity plays straight from uh, the shepherds on the hillside choosing to search out what the angel has said to them into the eastern travellers following the star to Bethlehem. And so we have that childhood scene of everyone around the manger. If we take time to read the story, we see a real difference here from what has gone on before. The birth narrative is one of poverty, of the humble presence of a baby, of lowly surroundings, and also smelly shepherds that have come straight from the hill. But our passage here recognizes that but brings something new. It is to put into the minds of the people who hear it a question of whom will I bow down to? And so within the passage, there's the idea of Jesus as king and the type of king and kingdom that we expect when we look at him. And this is laid out in a number of different ways. The locations, the civil authority, the foreign travelers, the prophecy, the gifts. Each one points to the king. So Bethlehem and Judah... Uh, Jerusalem are being contrasted. Village and city, rural and capital. But it's not quite as simple as that. Both of these are historical, important places to the Jewish people. Jerusalem is the shining crown. It's the holy Place, the natural place to seek a king. It was a strong uh, place, a, a stronghold, um, and withstood the entry of God's people after they had occupied the whole of the promised land. 
um, for hundreds of years, it remained the defiant place until King David was king. Until David brought together north and south again. And together as God's people as one, they were able to triumph over Jebusites and take the city. It's the place where the temple was built by Solomon. But perhaps we also need to consider something of Bethlehem. David came from Bethlehem, and he became king not by inheriting it, but because God was unhappy with Saul, the present king, and so directed Samuel to go and anoint a son of Jesse's line. Bethlehem is the place from where, when things are wrong, a new king comes, a king that will do things differently, a king that will be righteous before the Lord. The new anointed king comes from Bethlehem. Located in Jerusalem, Herod is the king. And he clearly has power and authority. He summons the cabinet. He hears opinion. He issues orders. And appears to promise the right thing. You know, we all know that politicians sometimes summon it and issue the great edict. But is it what they're truly going to do? He says he too will go and worship. That's maybe the action that we expect of a king. But consider him again. The priests and teachers know of the prophecy, but he did not. He is a man that is not in touch with God. He is a man without the experience of the scriptures that his country's people base their life upon. He's more disturbed by what the visitors are saying about a possible king than seeking the hope that the Magi are declaring. And his promise to come and worship, we know because we've heard a bit more of the story at some point, probably, we know that that's a simple ploy to find the newborn king so that he can be killed. The civil king is seen to be uncivil and ungodly. How different from the king of kings, who does not lie and cheat and abuse power, but will serve the people and lay down his life that others may live. We come to the foreign travelers, the visitors, the magi, which historically have been 
referred to as wise men or kings. Sometimes there are names given to them, and we often call them three wise men. Though, of course, here there's no actual mention of number or name. Magi are recorded a little later in history, visiting Nero in Rome, 66 AD. So the idea of them being a people that seek a king and present gifts is not unique here, but is part of their nature. They are people who will journey out and try to seek something that is new. But the idea that they set off following a star is unusual. They're probably not rulers, but priests of the Zoroastrian faith. They're used to studying the stars because they use astrology to try and tell what the future may hold. And bearing in mind that this is well before the invention of the telescope, it means that the things that they see and interpret are things that are visible to all. Anyone could see them in the stars, but they are making observations and recording it and trying to examine what it means. They have seen it, but others don't see the significance. The Magi may have travelled from Persia, and that would account for their choice of gifts, though to wealthy individuals, which they obviously were, those gifts would probably have been available anywhere. And Babylonia, modern Iraq, is another alternative place that they might have set off from. We don't know what they observed. A comet, a supernova, a planetary conjunction, maybe a bright planet in a certain place, such as we can see Venus at the moment, quite often near the moon. All these have been hypothesized. But whatever it was, it triggered searching. And the discovery of the Christ child, a saviour not only for the Jews, but offering hope to all those who trust in his name. They get pointed towards Bethlehem by the prophecy of Micah 5, uh, which speaks clearly of a ruler. And we might therefore think of the type of Messiah that the people were expecting. Often they thought of somebody sat on a throne, leading armies to war, a mighty conqueror. But the second half of that verse gives a slightly different picture. Because remember, this is Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. And we return to the idea of the shepherd, gentle and caring looking after the individual in the flock rather than what David was like when he was older. 
distracted in the city while his soldiers went to the battlefield. But we'd be falling short if the only echo of the past, the only echo of the old scriptures, the Old Testament as we know them, were those words that are remembered by Herod and the priests. There's a number of other allusions going on. Numbers 24. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. The sense that the star is there and the star will give hope. We can also see the scene being set that will lead the Holy Family to Egypt. And, of course, that means Jesus will return out of Egypt and enter the promised land, as did Joshua, whose name meant Lord of Salvation. And as we move to start thinking of the kingly gifts, we might also remember an earlier visitor from the east who had carried jewels along with gold and incense. The Arabian queen of Sheba, she gave them to the son of David, Solomon, in 1 Kings 10. With the Magi, we have no idea of quite how much they carried. How much gold? How much incense? How much myrrh? But even a small quantity would have been precious and a gift for a king. All worthy gifts. But often our traditional understanding of the myrrh is that as a gift, it points ahead to the crucifixion, to the grim task of anointing a body, and also mixed with wine and offered up to Jesus on the cross. But if we were to turn to Psalm 45, or to Song of Solomon 3, we would find that mar is also used for perfuming a king's robes giving him a lovely fragrance as he walks along. And if we were to look at Proverbs 7 or Song of Solomon 5, we would see it as a fragrance used in a bed to encourage lovemaking. Its presence in the Old Testament is related with joy and festivities and majestic presence as well as that mention of death. And so it rightly joins gold and frankincense as a blessing to the king and should not always automatically lead our thoughts to the cross. So our journeying starts in Bethlehem. But with a child, not an infant, a house, not a stable. And we see in every verse something that points towards a king. And the king of kings. The one who flung every star into space. 
including the celestial body, which gave the Magi something to question and something to seek. So let's begin our journey. Let us seek the king and also discover something of being loyal citizens of his kingdom. <laughs> 